Welcome to the iHealth Podcast, a podcast for you to relate to like-minded individuals discussing hot topics all related to rehab, fitness, and business. Brought to you by Iron Health from Westchester, New York. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the iHealth Podcast. Today we talk with Kelly Starrett, huge in the physical therapy world, and we discuss how he got into physical therapy, how he got into CrossFit, his physical therapy philosophies, and also where he thinks the future of physical therapy is going. Hopefully you guys enjoy. So, man. What happened? I said we're doing a lot. Yeah. Doing a lot. So I, I think the biggest thing for, for us, you know, is, is uh, John and I are both big fans of everything you've kind of done. And, you know, I know John really went into PT because of you. So, like, that's, that's an exciting oh, thing. That, Dude, that was it, man. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what choices did I make along the way? Yeah, no, dude. It's ever since uh, those CrossFit mobility seminars. I started with that, and and oh. you and I remember Root back in the day. Like you were you were the guys that kind of got me into this whole thing. So it's it's kind of coming full circle now. Oh, that's super exciting. You know, um, the bar was very low a few years ago. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, in terms of uh, helping people, and you know, when we started this course, I, you know. It, uh, the original mobility project is 10 years old in September, which is insane, right? Mm-hmm. I started teaching that course in like the end of 2008, and I would go up to people and be like, okay, this is your hip. And then people would be like, oh my God, I PR'd on my deadlift just by knowing it was my hip. I mean, the bar was so low. Yeah. Right. And, and we didn't know anything, you know, like you would train until you break, and then you didn't know what happened. You take a bunch of ibuprofen. You know, maybe you saw your doctor and you wait and then you train some more and then people have become so sophisticated and leveled up, which means we get to have the next conversation. But man, you know, when we started this, I think if we had come out with what you were doing, Johnny, now you would have blown people's head back. They couldn't even like, what? You mean, it would have, it would have, it wouldn't have been possible to have the conversations we're right now. Right. I just remember that first video, that 10 minute squat test video and even something as simple as that. I feel like it just that basic fundamental shape that that was even groundbreaking it's like people had no idea how to get into that right you know portal is like you should do it for 30 minutes you know (laughs) how about that we did that we did that video and uh one of our coaches adrian bosman was out uh teaching for crossfit and he texted me he's like some guy did that and tore his meniscus you know and i remember being like wow like oh god that's really bad. Like, I couldn't, like, get stapled or just take a poop in the woods without a knee injury. I mean, like, the bar, I don't even told the story. I remember thinking to myself, man, the bar is worse than I thought. It's even lower than I thought. You know, and, and in that first 10-minute squat test, which is like, what do you mean you can't make a campfire and, like, right. and hang out on the ground? Is um, There's a ton of hidden spinal flexion in there. I mean, I, we have been putting like returning people's native range of motion for now over a decade. And, uh, but oof, the bar was super low. And, and notice I was like, there wasn't even techniques. I'm like, this is a position you value. And yeah. I really like Olympic lift. Maybe, maybe you should spend some time in that bottom shape. Just that, maybe it's just me. Yeah, good, good, good help. Kind of makes help. sense. <laughs> How'd you end up getting into PT in the first place? Like what was your transition there? Like what put you over the edge? Good question. Um, you know, I was one of those athletes who uh, it was more is better, right? You know, we paddled 300 days a year, sometimes twice a day. We added in swim workouts and biking, and we'd go to the gym and do our version of weight training. And we were sniffing around, and um, one day my hand started to get weak on the paddle. 
didn't paint, but I just couldn't hold the paddle. My hand would just slip off the paddle, and I was like, I get this nasty form, pump out, and I was like, and everyone's like, oh, you got stretched. So I did all the like wrist stretches you possibly could, and I, my hand got worse and worse, and I would be like, I have to take a day off. And what the hell's going on? And then someone jumped on the boat while we were carrying it up, and uh, boom, like electricity through my body, yeah. right hand tingle, can't turn my head, think I have a, a fracture of my spine, and cortisone, prednisone, MRIs, you know, like needles, stretching, modalities, ice, heat, like mm-hmm. I was like, show me what to take so that I can make this pain go away and I can go back to my life. That mm-hmm. was the whole thing. And that ended my career and I didn't get good answers. And when I started to become interested, because I was like, you can't outwork me. What was going on there? And I was actually, I moved to San Francisco. This is like a year and a half later. I moved to San Francisco and was uh, with my, my wife and, um, you know, I was living in Durango racing, moved to San Francisco, and I was out surfing, and I had this moment of Satori. And I was like, oh, I need to go to PT school. And this was in 2000. And, uh, and then first year of PT school, I discovered CrossFit, this open source model, and I thought I was fit. And I was already working with Jim Schmitz, an Olympic lifting coach. Mm-hmm. I was going to the racquetball court, throwing the medicine ball around. I was riding my bike and doing, you know, I, I discovered Dan John, and I was trying to overhead squat. Mm-hmm. I had discovered Pavel and I was doing, you know, deadlifts and bent presses. And I was really like, there's got to be a better way to this. And all of a sudden I discovered I wasn't skilled, I wasn't very strong, I wasn't very fit. And I had to learn all these other domains. And um, so first year of physio school, discovered CrossFit. And it was like I could suddenly, like no one was wearing clothes. But mm. I suddenly had this window into understanding what I was seeing instead of mm-hmm. did you get the weight up, yes or no. It's like, why did your arch collapse? And why did your knee come in? And why did you, you know, why did you bend your elbows there? Or why can't you take a breath? Or why are you heel striking? And it really helped me begin to understand what was going on because I realized we had the greatest diagnostic tool on the planet, which was strength and conditioning, which is really just a formal way of moving under load where we could expose all your problems. Mm-hmm. So the gym for me is the safest place on earth, but it's the place where we can really understand what's going on in the moving target that is the human human being especially athletes yeah that's awesome so what's your specific philosophy on that when you're looking at like a crossfitter particularly like if someone's arch is collapsing like how do you address it do you go like top down or or the other way around well you know we let's let's start with the idea that um you really can touch anywhere to begin right so one of the things that we did was we always used to value movement or reps or scheme right and that was our thing. So, hey, we're doing five by five, and here's the weights, and did you get the weight done, yes or no? People can relate to that, right? I'm trying to run these intervals in this time. Row this split. Instead, I started focusing on here is your movement goal. Your goal is to try to maintain this position under these conditions. And these conditions could be speed, cardiorespiratory demand, metabolic demand, load, competition, right? Changing motor patterns. You have to do a clean, then a jerk, right? Random practice versus block practice. I suddenly can take the bars in hand and make you have to do that with a dumbbell, right? I can make it closed chain versus open chain. I can flip you upside down and hang from a pull-up bar. There's so many ways to challenge your ability to hold your shape. And our hypothesis was the person who had the most robust positions under the most conditions was probably the kid you wanted on your kickball team. That was the person who's not going to break down. Mm-hmm. 
And I think CrossFit methodologies, CrossFit style training, highlighted that many of us were engaged in real strength conditioning programs. We couldn't do these things when we were breathing hard. And that was the first time that, that breathing a little bit hard exposed a lot of problems, right? That just suddenly being able to ventilate, manage right. the pressure, manage the hate in your ears. And, mm-hmm. and we weren't the only people to do that. I mean, if you weren't with Louie, have you ever done a five-minute squat with Louie? We do like one squat every 20 seconds on the squat bar, right? Like, I guarantee you, heart rate is going to be 300. You know, like the GoMad diet, the gallon of milk a day plus 20 reps. Throw, throw, throw 225 pounds on that bar for 20 reps, and we'll find out how well you can hold your position. So everyone was on that. I don't think we understood. And so to answer your question, you know, what we're trying to do is help our athletes understand that the goal is for us to make them fail every day. Mm. But if they don't have a place to fail from, then we'll just get the job done. You'll, you'll solve the problem however you do to get the point or win or go the fastest. And I think gamification of fitness was really important because we did see people's intensity go up and it made it fun and you got to compete and felt like sport again. But if that's the thing you value, who went the fastest, that's what you'll get, right? And if the goal is to train for something, mm-hmm. to make myself, you know, not could I just do the crappiest, burpiest, fast? Like, I, you know, on the internet, I mean, go on to the Instagram to like the, the much maligned burpee. You know, you get coaches talking about it. I'm like, well, you know, there's a lot of good flexion of the spine and extension of the spine. Can you squeeze your butt as you're warming up? Like, can you land in a good position like you're getting off the ground? All of a sudden, you're like, well, that's not a burpee. That's a skill. Mm-hmm. But if you're just trying to do work, well, man, there's a lot of ways where we can do people, you know, make people do a lot of work. And I think that's that's the difference there, right? Let's put skill back into our movement so that people, it can be hard enough that people can make mistakes, but that they can self-correct back into the movement goal of their available range of motion for the day. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that was kind of the problem initially where CrossFit got such a, a negative connotation early on because, like you said, it was, was really that gamification of, of fitness. So for every day, every every day that person's coming in for, you know, whatever wad was board, that was their competition. So mm-hmm. kind of there was no holds barred. Let's just go balls to the wall and see what happens. So how do we really kind of pull back and convince them that, you know, we need to be training for something, but how do we make that kind of sexy and appealing as opposed to just, you know, let's, you know, go as hard as we can until we all throw up and have a good time? Well, I mean, it is fun to, it is fun to do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, we, you know, what I'll say is we came up with a phrase for it, which was, hey, I made you some toast, but I burned down the house. Right? <laughs> Man, that toast was so good, but uh, the house is on fire. Um, you know, What's interesting is that I think it's easy to sort of look at some of the, the outputs and the performances that people are doing, that the performance model of like, man, people are cleaning, you know, snatching 300 and, you know, and cleaning jerking 400 and, and they can also run, you know, miles in the five minutes and row fast. And um, we were all protected by our beginnerness 15 years ago. So our gym has been going for 15 years and no one was really that strong. You know, the first time I ever snatched 135 or 30 reps, I thought it was going to take me like three hours. I didn't even know if I could do it, right? And that's like, you know, what, 90 seconds of work, two minutes of work? It's just not that big a deal. But we did like 30 singles, and oh, my God, and we were belted up and ready to go. And, um, you know, I, I think we were all sort of inoculated from 
the bigger abuse is because we weren't that fit. We weren't that strong. And it's and this is actually really speaks to sort of the heart of I think what of a lot of people have experienced is that people are coming in with pretty big engines. I mean, people used to throw up all the time. In fact, we had uh, Mark Lipito when I was out at Mark Lipito's house. Um, he kills a lot of rattlesnakes on his property, and then he would take the heads and put them in a little like shadow box, right? So you're in Mark Lipito's house, and there's a shadow box full of snake heads. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little, little known fact about you. And I was like, hey, can I have one of these snake heads? So I took a rattlesnake head home. I still have it. i got to make it a prize sometime. But if you vomited at our gym, you had your photo taken kissing the stinky snake. Oh, man. And we called it, oh, you kissed the snake. That hasn't happened in a long time. Mm. Because Soul Cycle is here. Peloton is here. Barry's boot camp is here, Orange Theory is here. Like people are really training at much higher intensities than we did a decade ago or even 15 years ago. And so now we get to have the next conversation. The conversation is, man, you can do a lot of work in really wretched positions that may or may not ever cause you pain, but do not transfer to any other thing besides abs or you worked really hard. And so we can really kind of get into a much more interesting conversation about what I call sports preparation. And I started to move GPP, this notion of general physical preparedness, as a step below sports preparation. So if you just care about doing a bunch of work, that's GPP, and we'll expose you to more ranges of motion and traditional barbell loads and, and just doing a whole bunch of work. But if you want to prepare people to have movement choice, movement options, and be better skilled in the actual application of fitness, then we start to care about the details, that your shoulder position matters, and how tight you got on that first pull, and your ability to ventilate under load, and pressurize when you're up to jerk. That starts to matter more, right? That you can't turn your feet out and land like a duck if you want to cut, or dunk a basketball, mm -hmm. or run a fast hundred. If you just want to squat up and down so that you look good on Instagram naked, that's fine. <laughs> and that's, that's fine. But don't no, tell no. me. That is. But don't tell. And then, then if your foot ever hurts or you have knee pain, and then the way out of that is actually to change your mechanics. Well, wasn't it easier just to do the right thing, the better thing the first time? Right? And I think that's where we are now is that, you know, I've been, you know, John Wellborn and I have been battling together this notion of turning your feet out I'm like forever and what you've seen in the games for example if we use that as a case CrossFit's feet are straighter and straighter and straighter and straighter and straighter because you can't ride a bike in the Tour de France with your feet turned out like they're on fire mm -hmm. right right yeah I know the, uh, the power athlete stuff has been great about that really really been encouraging that foot straight and just kind of the whole the power moves in straight lines kind of kind of principle before it's, yeah it's, and, and you know so and it, it, look people show up and I think modern strength conditioning practices start to look very similar. Like there'll be hallmarks of, hey, I work with a lot of sprinters. I work with a lot of endurance athletes, right? But what you're starting to see is um, people are getting pretty savvy about wanting to go faster. And the things that we've been sort of espousing are ways to go faster. But for a long time, people showed up and they couldn't put their arms over their head. So it's difficult to teach good jerk technique if you don't even have the range of motion to get there, right? Mm. The reason your first 
push of the barbell off the ground sucks and it's so variable is that you don't have hip range of motion or ankle range of motion. Like, what are we talking about? Like, why are you, you know I mean? You're, you're arguing about the premise of your technique, but you don't even have the, the, the runway to express that, you know, what we're trying to do there. And it's not an accident. And, and all the things are there for us. If you look at how all the Olympic lifts are taught, they're all taught from the hang. Why? No range of motion problems there. They're all taught with muscle muscle positions first, like muscle snatch, muscle clean, right? Don't even have to re-dip. Just one jump from the ground, right? right we teach right. press, push, press, push, jerk in that order for a reason because, you know, as we begin to add speed and complexity and range of motion, you're going to have to become a little bit more sophisticated as a human mover. Mm. How do you stop, like, a newbie who's like, hey, I want to just get in here and snatch as heavy as possible? Like, how do you kind of guide them in the right direction if they're really, you know, straight line towards that. Well, I'm the fucking coach. <laughs> <laughs> it's my gym, you know, and I'll say, strip it down. And I, you know, and we expect, you know, part of that expectation is no one ever comes in and does that, right? If we have open gym and if people, you know, and people are allowed to go wreck themselves, yeah. you know, we're going to keep you safe. But if you, I mean, you want to just go hammer snatch technique by yourself, you're right, it really is. But, you know, one of the things that we do is we say, here's our movement goal for the day, right? And for some people, it may be that they're performing muscle snatches from the hang, and other people may be doing heaving snatch balance, and other people are still are pulling from the ground, performing full snatches. And we have the idea that once everyone's on the same page, then exercise selection is about a movement goal and about using enough load or volume or rest intervals to challenge that appropriately. And I, you know, I get that people are there to exercise. If I give you a PVC pipe and I'm like, we're just going to snatch the PVC pipe for an hour, get me out of there. I'm going to, I'm going to be like, fuck that. And, you know, but what I'll do is I'm like, okay, we're going to work on the skill. And then, you know, you need to put out 600 Watts on this, uh, this concept two bike for 45 seconds. And I need you to come over here and snatch this 95 pounds. And, you know, it's toxic and heinous. So there's so many ways mm to challenge people's position besides load, that we can get their attention. Or, hey, we're gonna do this one skill piece, but in the course of, because we're not just an Olympic lifting gym, I'm also, we're gonna do gymnastics and calisthenics, and you know, I think it's really okay to have one lift that you work on, and then, you know, I call it accessory conditioning. You know what I mean? Like, we're gonna do accessory work, but you're gonna be on fire. Yeah. And, and good luck trying to keep up, you know? And, and, you know, I mean, you wanna make accessory work fun, you know, make it the hardest accessory work people are dying to get it done, you know? And so I think, you know, that old model, I think people appreciate that, you know, we're gonna work at the limits of their ability today. And then we're also helping them understand it's a diagnostic process, that your range of motion and ability to hit positions is a moving target. And so if we can do, come in and say, hey, look, you, you know, wow, it's really difficult to hit my full snatch today. Well, I'm, let me let me tell you why. You know, you you have a newborn baby and you were just on a red eye and you, know, you ran a marathon last week. Like, you know, you're kind of the opposite of a lipid lifter mm -hmm. today, right? So, you know, so one of the things is I think we only value the physiologic benefit instead of also the restoration and restitution of position and mechanics and efficiency. So kind of my current favorite hero right now in strength conditioning is a guy named Franz Bosch. Mm -hmm. And he sees 
strength conditioning as much about coordination development as it is mm-hmm. about physiologic change and muscle. And so we're talking about intramuscular sequencing and intramuscular mm-hmm. coordination. That's as important as getting stronger, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something if you get into the Russians, you're like, oh, that's the repetition method. Like I, I, I move the same weights. I become mm-hmm. much more efficient at it, then I move up, right? Instead of always waving and being on these kind of linear periodization models where I'm always heavier and always heavier and mm-hmm. always heavier, is that we can become these, these, these positions and mechanics can be drilled and drilled and drilled with volume. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I think some of the early gains we made in, in 15 years ago or 10 years ago were at, and it's so great to be able to talk to you nerds about this. Because, <laughs> Um, I don't get to talk about this on most podcasts, um, <laughs> was the fact that some were asking for people to pick up so many new skills. You have mm-hmm. to be able, you know, when we, we started the gym 15 years ago, you couldn't buy a kettlebell in San Francisco. Like, just let that sit in. This is a major, you had to drive to Santa Cruz to buy kettlebells. Right wow. now you buy a kettlebell at Target if they have them, but they're sold out because they yeah. want this kettlebell. So. We suddenly were like, what do you mean you can't do a dip on the rings? And you can't do three kinds of pull-ups and chin-ups. And you can't forward roll. And you don't know how to speak Olympic lifting. And you can't do the same list with barbells. And you can't do it on fire. And so we got this huge quantum gain in just the skills of people. And that skill coordination made us better initially without even having to become fitter or stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just kind of segueing into that kind of neurological aspect what effect do you think the nervous system has on flexibility? I mean, clearly it's, I mean, at least from most of the evidence, it seems to be huge. Um, you know, how do you kind of like talk about that? Yeah, with but, like FRC and, you know, well, a, a lot of programs. Yeah, what I'll say is um, we've always been abashedly nervous system first. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, like people are like, I'm protein forward or I'm plant forward. I'm like, <laughs> I'm TNS forward. <laughs> you know, and, and if you can see, the reason is that we see that the organization and, and pressurization and uh, tensionality of the nervous system is the limit, a lot li- the limiting factor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if your belly bulges out, for example, when you get into a deadlift position and you herniate out, and I don't mean herniate through the disc, I mean like you have this tube of fluid, of, of fluids, of organs, it's just like rigid fluid dynamic system, your trunk, and part of that bulges forward, in a, you know, I'm not talking about how it expands and swells 360, but part of it bulges out, that's like a hot dog blowing out part of its side on the grill, right? That's a herniation. Mm. Well, you're gonna see that you your nervous system is gonna protect you. and you know, a lot of the hamstring tears we see, for example, in sport, people cannot extend the hip effectively. Hamstrings doing the work of the, of the hamstring and the glute. Pelvis goes into anterior pelvic tilts during that sprint. People get tight in the hamstring. Well, that's a lot of neurologic protection around mm-hmm. that. But what I'll say is if you've ever done any of the movement work that we do, there's a couple things that we really try to hammer on in, in the work that we do. So first, you can divide corrective exercises as any skill transfer exercise. So a corrective exercise is a skill transfer exercise, right? Just like, hey, we're doing heaving snatch balance to improve your snatch, right? We're doing this crawling or this, this I, Y, and T thing to improve something else. And, and I, because of the movement language that we have access to in, the, in a modern gym, I never really do corrective exercises because mm-hmm. my exercise selection is so 
what I'll do is I'll slow you down. I'll add tempo or isometrics in there. Mm-hmm. So suddenly that front tempo front swell with a pause at the bottom, I don't need a whole bunch of other drills. I'm just going to do get you into the best position possible with your feet and your hips and your ankles, and I'm going to make you go really slow and be connected. So a lot of ways to skin that cat. But our stuff is really what I call position transfer exercise drills. So mobilizations are a way of addressing the fact that it may not be a motor learning problem. It may not be a skill-related problem. It may be a tissue extensibility problem. Mm. And it is not always the brain. You know, we know from the recent research that first thing that happens after strenuous activity is that your musculature and bodies create a more stable collagen structure around the muscle if it was just muscular first. It's like your body says, oh, we're going to have a bigger engine. Let's build a bigger house. Let's get a bigger car frame. <laughs> then once we've done that, then we start to backfill with all the, the muscular changes and changes in right adaptation. So sometimes you're just stiff as fuck. And it doesn't matter what you believe or what your nervous system is or what you're doing, but we've always talked about breathing to have access to that. My physical therapy school was attached to the World Center for PNF in Kaiser Vallejo. Mm. That's where I study. Mm-hmm. And what I appreciate is we've always been on contract relax. We've always done end range isometrics. We've always gotten the nervous system involved. So if you lay on a ball and contract your muscle, which is the hallmark of what we do, that's basically building tension, a vector load in the middle of the tissue. But instead of contracting the limb, we're basically deflecting the soft tissues around that ball, which creates higher tension, which is the same thing as you can think of that as movement without motion. Your brain thinks you're moving, you're putting tension into either end, but you're not actually moving. So suddenly, I have you take a full breath in, so you have access. If you can't breathe in a position, don't own a position. I have you do this end range isometric position in a position of emphasis, right? It's not just press and guess. This is a specific position we're trying to change. You're doing an isometric there, and then you're doing as you slowly exhale and let off. That's tempo. Like mm-hmm. suddenly you're like, oh wait a minute! All of physical therapy can be broken down into isometrics or tempos. Mm-hmm. Everything else is bullshit. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. like you're like, wait a minute! Like I know what this is. This is just end range isometrics. So <laughs> I, I'm doing tempo in this position. Wait a minute! So, so anytime someone is, you know, this is why someone just putting their elbow into your and reefing the crap out of you, maybe makes some changes in the soft tissue for sure can restart inflame, inflammation, can desensitize, right, can change fluid loads, can, right, can decongest. I mean, there's so many things going on here. But whenever possible, we're trying to get the, the brain involved because mm-hmm. the brain is driving so much of this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and honestly, it's disingenuous to say any other way. It's like people show up and they suck. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, I didn't sleep well, and mm. you know, I'm super fried. I'm like, well, I wonder if that has something to do with your brain, knowing what's going on with your body, right? Yeah. But we have a connection with it. And what I want people to appreciate is that, you know, pain is just more information, like your lack of range of motion, like your loss of force production for the day, or you can't hit your intervals on the bike. It's just information. But all of those things tell me about your readiness. So. To, to really say that, you know, it's always nervous system, eccentric neural grooving. I'm not trying to throw shade at anyone. 
mm-hmm. all I want to appreciate is how similar everyone's model it is about restoring position, right? And and then what arguing about what tools you're using, and then for me saying, well, does this scale? Can I get 50 people doing it or 20 kids doing it? Mm-hmm. Does it for me? All all the models of rehab and performance have to do three things, and if they don't, we need to ask why. We need to explain what's happening. So one of the things that I like about my model, which is the only model I can really speak to, is that I'm always using the context of the movement. So we have the context down. So instead of having to learn another parallel language of rehab, we have the language that we already have, which is hinge, squat, push, pull, dumbbell, kettlebell, jump rope, I mean, it's all there, right? We have all the tools, and all I'm suddenly saying is, put your body into this position, and then let's see if we can impact the tissue to improve your position so that you can go back and do that again better, right? And, you know, so you need to be able to explain what's happening. Why is someone moving like this? Well, the first order of business is, hey, why is your arch collapsing? Stop doing that, right? Take your shoes off. See your arch? Good. Now hold that arch. Okay. You can't squat below parallel without your feet turning out. Well, if I lay you down and you're missing dorsiflexion, hip internal rotation, hip flexion, and your quads are stiff, choose one of those things to change, and let's test retest. So suddenly we have this explanatory idea that the model has to predict what you're seeing or explain what you're seeing, but it also has to predict what's going to happen under speed, load, and other positions. So if someone has stiff rectus femoris, because it's just stiff and fibrotic, it's not about your nervous system. Certainly just pulling on it doesn't mean shit. We all get that, right? Mm-hmm. Right? We're going to have to do a whole lot more to get involved. And then I should be able to say, knowing that tissue is stiff or knowing this position, what will other movements look like? Right? And that is our model around the disjoint, this joint, the rules of torsion, right? Flexion, external rotation, extension, internal rotation. These predict what I should see as I add speed, load, complexity, lack of range of motion. And then finally, so you have to be able to explain what you're seeing, you have to be able to predict future moving behavior, and the last one is you have to be able to communicate that to someone else. Mm-hmm. And again, dude, you break chickens, swing them around your head, put needles into your left foot, and you squat better, explains <laughs> what's going on, it predicts what's happening, right? it's gonna happen, and I can do it, and you can do it, well, and I'm in. And what that does is that opens up this whole conversation about, well, which tools are more effective? Why don't we use those tools? So we have a model that predicts movement behavior and explains movement behavior. And then I am 100% agnostic about how to get there. And then it's just like, well, you like front squatting and you like, you know, safety bar squatting. Those are just methods. So then then that's a real conversation. Do you need to bench three times a week or bench twice a week? Do you need to... You need to bench it all. I mean, these then that's the real nuance, right? Mm-hmm. But some of this, we're having these really nuanced conversations around who's got the better crack, right? And I'm like, well, no one does your crack. No one does my crack. So what are we even arguing about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when, when do we do this piece? Like, great, I have a one-hour movement, maintenance, activation routine that doesn't get done. Three times a week, it doesn't get done. <laughs> Adherence is sort of the big deal, right? Right. So that really ends up shaping our behaviors too. When are we going to do this? And more importantly, I appreciate is that I want to get all that stuff out of the gym. 
I want the gym to be about training and coaching, being in a tribe and diagnostics. And then sometimes we need to get help there in the gym. But a lot of the stuff, like all the soft tissue work and stuff, do it at home. Do it on your own dime. Don't yeah. come to the gym and start laying on the foam roller, please. You'll kill you. You will cause me to walk over to you and kick you in the neck. <laughs> like like our, our our coaches, like we'll have visitors come. They lay come lay down in the morning, start rolling around, and Julie be like, "Don't let Kelly see you're fucking dead." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Do Do you use any tools though for like neurological prep preparedness? Then or no? Like like what do you mean? Uh, don't they have like one of these rings that tracks your sleep? It tracks your heart rate. Oh, like a like a whoop band. Like a whoop band, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, so what's really great is um you know, here's the promise of science. Science the highest service of science is to improve the humanities. That's that is an E.O. Wilson one oh one, right? That's our goal. Um so let's talk about the science of sport. And what we learned was that if you didn't eat whole foods and if you didn't warm up and cool down, if you didn't sleep and do and have access to your range of motion training, you're gonna suck, right? But we figured that out early on in the language of sports performance and the gym. And suddenly, there's this thing called the biopsychosocial model, right? That we're not just neuromechanical systems, that arousal and beliefs and feeling of safety, of, of sleep, all of that matters. So what we ended up doing because because we came out of a sports tradition, we've always cared about sleep. But now we're at a place where I'm like, I don't believe you. So especially if you're dealing with persistent pain or chronic pain, I'm like, tell me about your sleep. You're like, sleep great. I'm like, great, show me. Otherwise, you do not. It's hmm. bullshit. And you know, we have to be able to draw some lines in the sand. So under seven hours of sleep, and that means seven hours of sleeping, not in bed for seven hours. That's a stressed state. I can't even tell what's going on in your nervous system arousal, right? So do I love the root band? Yes. Does HRV tell me everything? No, but it tells me about your sleep and behavior and consciousness around that. And then also I start to build relationships between, hmm, I see you had some drinks the other night and now you're sucking two days later, <laughs> right? And you wonder why. And now I have a, and, and, and guess what? Athletes will always do what works and they don't do what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so um, in Per Whoop's own internal research, you know, they saw that they, when they started showing the cardiac function impacts of alcohol, they saw a decrease in alcohol consumption of their athletes and their athletes end up in bed more often earlier because they could see the immediate outputs, right? Mm. And so do we think that you need to be slave to your O-ring or your loop or you know your readiness score? No, but if they can help you bring awareness, you know, they're basically creating vital signs of behavior, behavior vital signs. But why don't we have movement vital signs? Right, so everyone is like, "Look at my whoop band and my pre-game wad and my post-meal <laughs> prep," and I'm like, "Look at the fact that your hip is missing 30 degrees of flexion yeah. with no internal rotation. Does that matter to you somewhere? Yeah, because my athletes are going to kill you <laughs> because you don't care about those. Things. So yes, I think I think that's really those things matter, and it matters more as we get as we get into that sports preparation." When we ask ourselves, what are we training for? So 
you know, one of the things that we're really keeping an eye on is saying, hey, what now is the minimum dose we need to have in the gym so that we can go out into the world and actually project that fitness? Because if you're so blown out from the 100 thrusters at 135 pounds you did, you're going to suck at soccer. And I guarantee you're going to suck at soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you got smashed earlier. It was so awesome. And, and we ran that experiment. And part of that is just the excitement of being in the gym, the excitement of being in a team, the excitement of people really being extraordinary around you and wanting to push and learning these new skills. And that's okay. But the goal for me was never to look good naked or look good on Instagram. And that, that's a fine goal. It really is a fine goal. But you can't also say that that's the best way to train for life and sport. Mm. So really, I think now we're like, okay, you're, you're starting to get skilled. Well, how strong is strong enough? And what we hear is like, you know, strength is never a weakness. You're never going to be too strong. Like, really? <laughs> really? Because that guy who can deal with 900 pounds can't touch his toes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know? And, and that's, that's totally okay, too. Because his goal is to bench and squat as much as he wants. But we can also say, we can say, hey, what is it that doing here that's essential for all of my volleyball players, all my swimmers? What, there's a lot to be gained there. Um, the same way we can look at bodybuilding and say, man, those people really understand calorie control and weight loss better than anyone else. So if I have athletes who need to lose weight or I have athletes who are in weight-limited weight sports, I mean, you know, this work has been done for us already. And again, the whole thing becomes really open-ended and really extraordinary because we can you know, cherry-pick what best practices are. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, even just speaking of best practice, too, um, you know, how do you find that you stay up-to-date and current with whatever research is coming out? Do you just either, you know, just look it up online? Do you just kind of see what other coaches are doing, and then you have this big population of your own athletes that you can sort of apply this? I think, um, you know, for someone like myself who graduated last year, I mean, there's a lot of research coming out, and it's always so much information. So how do we kind of appraise that evidence and, and put it into practice? Well, the first thing is, is um is understand fundamentally that you know let's look at what we have been done and where we've come from right because the research doesn't tell you how to you know teach a, a 10 year old to squat so she doesn't pull out her knees it doesn't right it informs of us about breast practice so a couple things that are useful i follow a ton of coaches i watch how they're coaching their athletes and a hallmark of what i'll say is and this is one of the things that's super crucial for me now is you need to be transparent in your work. Mm-hmm. So in physical therapy, for example, there is uh, a penchant to talk or throw shit at the wall or, or pull out a piece of research and really sort of make these cases. But no one really knows how you practice because you're behind a door or you have uh, a side room of your house and you see a few people and you lecture about something and um, you know I'm like well that doesn't help or change the model or give people example so I need to see what it looks like I want to see the beginning and one of the things that we've taken from strength conditioning and from all of the best coaches in strength conditioning is they're 100% transparent not necessarily in all the work they do right because you're still trying to prepare athletes but go to Kel Strength. You'll see what they're doing. Go see what Joe DeFranco did. Joe DeFranco was one of the first people on the internet to film the whole training session. So you could see the good lifts, the bad lifts, the coaching, real athletes under real loads. 
and not just the PR one rep max attempt, right? You get to see Steffi Cohen and Hayden do a lot of lifting in their garage. Like if you put up 50 people, I could pick out Hayden's deadlifting pattern because I've watched him deadlift a lot. <laughs> and, and so, so first and foremost, I'm always paying attention and asking questions. Like I assume that there's a better way, more effective way. Second is that I still coach and teach, or I did before our gym closed, a lot. I'm still coaching and teaching and practicing and refining all the time. And third, I have a couple of super ninja research people that I follow that really get me to ask the right questions, you know, who, who challenge my abilities to think and to think critically. Why do I believe what I know I believe? And, you know, I think I've made this pretty clear around that I reserve the right to change my mind. And example is icing. Like we were 100% off on the icing. Right. And man, you know, people don't want to change their ideas around that. So, um, you know, Again, I think the hallmark has always been test, retest, and share. And that has driven our idea. Hey, we think this works. We test it again. We get, again, explanatory, predictive, and repeatable. And then we ask our friends. We ask our researchers. And then I work with chiropractic schools. And I work with physical therapy schools. And I work with the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marine Corps and the All Blacks and the NFL. And... Eventually, the data that I get, this data sets, we start to see what best practice looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. totally. How did you? That's a, it's a really good question. You know, because you're like, holy shit, where do I begin? Right. Uh, it just seems like there's so much information always coming out, and either someone's trying to sell a product, or you know, there's certain or have an agenda, or that's right. 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 And, it's kind of hard to sift through it. You know, so you know, again. One of the things that I think is, is crucial is saying, you know, this technique may work or this skill thing may work for this one population. Mm -hmm. This tool may work for this one thing. Like Russian stim is great. It's great. It works. ArcWave works, right? They're $22,000 a piece. Doesn't really scale up. You know, I've got, I've got 15 kids. I'm Mike Boyle's gym, right? They're putting a couple hundred people through the gym in a day, you know, so suddenly I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's not as valuable a scalable tool. Right? Mm -hmm. So I start to evaluate that versus does it scale? Can I, is it economical? Also, does it explain phenomena across cohorts? So, you know, it, not only in the sport you're in, but also does it account for phenomenon for development in children's movement? Oh, turn my feet out. So I tell my kids to turn my feet out how much? 30 degrees? And what, but no, 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 if they're jumping, they, they have their feet straight, but if they think they're going to jump and land, then they should turn their feet out a little bit more, unless they're doing it from six inches, like it just falls apart, right? right. So you can start to see that, like, ooh, why are we making those decisions? Right. And suddenly, um, we can start to say, well, this, does this scale up and is this sustainable at age, sport, ability, cohort, injury, and there should be a through narrative around the physiology of the human being, because... For the last 10,000 years, the shoulder hasn't really evolved. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> and as soon as you get into martial arts and you get into our historical movement patterns and all of the running coaches and all of then you'll see that it's all there for us. You know, look at the pictures. Go to the book Unbroken and look at the pictures of Zamparelli running mm -hmm. and look at the amount of lean he has, look at the mm -hmm. amount of dorsal flexion he has, look at the amount of hip flexion he has. Mm -hmm. All you're going to be like, damn. You know, I mean, there's, 
you're like, okay, 1942, like, still killing it. Yeah. Because, because fast is fast and body's the body. So how did you come up with the Ready State? Like, what was that transition like from Mobility Wad? Well, you know, um, when we started this project 10 years ago, no one used the word mobility. And I explicitly chose the word mobility because it didn't have any baggage associated with it. It wasn't flexing, it wasn't stretching. So let me apologize for the word mobility. Just out of <laughs> right? We just saw an insure, like it was literally like an insure commercial that had like insure mobility. And I was like, holy crap, these, but it had glucosamine and chondroitin and insure mobility and collagen. And I was like, okay. That's my fault. I own that. Um, and so and when we started this thing, we were the first anything wad. So I was like, I'm so clever. I'm going to use this term. And, and part of the term of art was, hey, I want you to work on your position and mechanics every day a little bit. Mm -hmm. So as a term of art, I was like, mobility wad, genius. But then fast forward 10 years or eight and a half years, you know, we, we've been in September, so almost a year, nine years. And um, suddenly uh, there's 300 wads. Right, there are yeah. competitors, so range of motion wad, right. um, go wad, sobriety, sobriety wad, it's all, like, it's all there, right? And, and, and so I was like, well, that's, that's it's also what I realized is that I wasn't helping enough people, that putting that technical term was an immediate disconnection for people like mobility wad, no, no, W-O-D, not W-A-D. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I did try to buy Dick Wad, but it was taken. <laughs> and, um, too and then what we found out was um, we had learned some things in sport. And really, again, the context was, like, what's important to you? How do we get ready for that? So, you know, you want to get out of pain. You want to run a faster 5K. You know, we wanted to take what we were doing and sort of also have an idea of, like, be as ready as you can. Control what you can control. One of the benefits of rebranding um, besides dumping the WAD association, which was important to us and, and very conscious because of the, the, the culture of the leadership of CrossFit was really toxic and really, uh, it was toxic. Yeah. And, um, I think we all say that now. Um, I think it's all coming, coming to light now. Yeah, it's, it's complicated and not complicated, but, um, you know, part of what we wanted to make sure that we do is we, we could take our 10 years of experience and streamline it because a little bit of what had happened on the site was I set out to make a video a day and suddenly we had like it was like the library of Alexandria and it was really you know 4,000 videos later it was hard to find what you were looking for and you were like oh that scroll I love is behind the pillar on the left and we had a chance to sort of say okay well what is it we're doing how do we reach and help more people who aren't sophisticated yet how do we bring them along because I'd be like, well, go to the site. There's plenty there. And then people would open the door and see the Pacific Ocean and shut the door. Like, they'd be like, I'm overwhelmed. You know, yeah. there's, I search shoulder and there's 300 videos about shoulder. I'm like, well, get started. <laughs> you know, so that, that was why we changed. And uh, so we had a chance to sort of reimagine and streamline what it is we were doing. And then also try to take what we were learning and make it more applicable into the things that people care about. Because that's the thing. I mean, the context. And we define injury as not being able to occupy your role in society. Mm. Right? You can't be your role on the team. Like that's injury, and that means that all of this needs to have context. What is it you want to do? You know. Gotcha. That's awesome. So, where do you see the future of the profession even going? Do you see it more 
you know, autonomy with individual patients, you know, going on Instagram and, and following certain coaches they like, and then just trying to apply these things themselves? Or do you still see, you know, going into a normal brick and mortar clinic or just going to an individual therapist? They're like, where do you kind of see all of this? You know, what's the end result? When we started, um, I really feel like we pushed the boundary. The, some, of the, some of the, a little bit was there, but, you know, um, we really tried to create this hybrid model of physio coach. You know, that was something I really felt. And, you know, I was working in a traditional orthopedic practice, um, a very high-end orthopedic practice, and uh, I got a lecture from one of the senior therapists who was a really good therapist, really excellent manual therapist. And she was like, you need to decide if you're a physical therapist or a coach. Like, you need to decide. And I was like, do I? Like, I don't, mm, I don't think so. I don't think I have to wait till everyone breaks, and then I get to do this physical shit. And, um, and that was honestly where I was like, why do, why do I have to wait? I mean, there's some things we do for now. No, like, we invented banded distraction. Like, that's, that's me. That was me trying to solve a problem. Like, I don't need a physio to do this. I can flip on my stomach and do a hip capsule, a hip quadrant with some distraction on them, you know. Of course, Brian Mulligan was using bands. Of course, Dick Herzl was there doing long distraction things, but it's all the joint, the technical joint lobes too. Welcome to the game, mm. you know? And um, so first and foremost, I think if I ask how our physical therapy profession is doing, it's not great. We have a whole bunch of graduates who can't pay off their student loan debt, get super burned out, don't get the practice they want to practice. And we're really rate limited by the insurance companies. And you know, I, 10 years ago, last week, I gave one of the big three-hour lectures at the Combined Sections Meeting of Physical Therapy Annual Convention, and um, I remember sitting in front of, like, 50 physios, you know, and being, like, I'm, like, we'll never change fast enough. I'm going to lose a generation of athletes waiting for physio, and I felt like we really had something, and it was that moment where, you know, three months later, three months later, I went ahead and started Mobility Watch, where I was just like, I can't wait for this. I, you know, we have all of the resources we need, which means the hybrid is, you know, Tim DeFrancesco, strength coach for the Lakers forever, also a physio, you know, coaches would ask him, how do you know what you know? He's like, well, I'm a physio, you should go to physio school. And then the physios would be like, how do you know that? He's like, you should be a coach, right? And, and I don't know if you have to go to physical therapy school to help people with pain anymore, it's certainly nice to be able to get in there and solve the problem yourself, right? You can help show people how to manage themselves, but it's nice to be like, hold on, now go do it, right? Yeah. What we realized is that we could put the squat rack closer to the treatment table, and that was a, a good model. And I think um, one of the things is no one should occupy work in a vacuum. You've got to create um, a, a, a council of peers. You've got to be aggressive about making sure that you're practicing and talking and sharing resources and information. You have to kind of create a cabal of, of physio coaches to help you navigate what you're seeing. And then also you, you need to be closer to the fire. So you need to understand what's going on because, you know, when we hear things, you know, all the ridiculous things that physios say get come back to us. And we just haven't, you know, people are going to, Greg Cook said it best, like people are going to go to the movement expert in their, in their community, and that may or may not be the physio. Aaron LeBlauer of, uh, you know, uh, uh, a PT trying to help people start their own practices said, look, you know, a lot of PT clinics assume that they're at the top of the heap, and really they're not. 
physical therapy is not the choice, right? And so what we want to do is continue to be of service and useful to our community. And that means we work our asses off to try to help people solve their problems wherever they are. Mm. And it may not be that they need to see a doctor to come see us. And, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, well, do you just let a random cut your hair? And they're like, no. And I'm like, do you just see a random PT? Like, what are we talking about? (laughs) So we we have some real challenges. And I think I'll also apply that we have some real challenges. You know, right now we're skating on the fact that um, we have a lot of really well-trained coaches who are trying to figure out how to work differently. And where are we developing new coaches now? How do we solve this problem of, of mentorship and practice? You know, I, when I was a young physio student, my wife and I had a newborn kid. She was an attorney. We had the gym. We're super broke. But I would fly down to San Diego on my own dime and coach for Mike Bergner as one of the assistant coaches weekend after weekend. Why? Because... That was where I knew I needed to watch how Mike Berger coached a whole bunch of people and how he developed. And, you know, I remember picking up the phone and asking Mark Ripito a question about adductors. And, man, I bugged everyone and asked everyone. And I showed up early and I stayed late and I paid attention. And, you know, we're, it's going to be hard to do that for our next generation right now, you know, mm. because the Internet, it makes you so lazy. When I saw it on the Internet, I'm like, that is not the same thing as watching Mark Verstegen coach at Excess, right? Yeah. It's not the same right. thing. So, so, you know, right now, I, we do have a problem of knowledge, transference, and practice because we can't, I mean, the number of times I put my hands on someone so they can feel something or put them into a position I want them to achieve or I touch them because I'm like, hey, how are you? And we hug it out and, you know, all of that is missing right now and it really is going to, we're going to pay a price for it. We haven't paid for it yet because we've been kind of coasting mm-hmm. on our goodwill, but... I mean, I don't know if the gym is going to make it, you know? Mm. Right. right. No, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really a good segue into, like, how, how are you managing this quarantine? Well, firstly, like, how do you manage running a business and kind of everything online oh, and then simple, in, in the house, question. too? Weed, vodka, perfume, <laughs> therapy, um, sauna, ice bath, exercise. Um, no, uh, you know... I think simultaneously we're trying to keep our coaches employed, maintain the integrity of our community, which we've spent 15 years developing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my CEO wife is, is a savage, savage intellect and, and, and very able partner. But, um, you know, this, we have, Julie and I have spent $90,000 of our gym savings. We have two separate corporations, but we have paid $90,000 of our savings. So basically putting my kids through college to keep a failing business going to support our coaches and our, and our community. And that's the right and moral and ethical thing to do right now. And I don't know if we'll climb out of that. So, um, you know, I think one is we'll take the same lessons we learned. That's probably a better way. We'll figure it out. We're never so dogmatic that we can't make corrections. So as, as a coach, you show up and you have a plan. Here's the work I want to get done today. Here's what I think my athletes need in the schema of development or, or some aspect of their conditioning or position, positional emphasis. And you run a hypothesis, right? You make, a, make a, a test, that's your hypothesis, and then you adjust up and down for every athlete in that room, right? You might modify, you might slow down, you get to this, I'm gonna have you 
squat to this height, right? So you have to be come with a plan and then react to what you see in real time. I think it's interesting. We were just in Idaho um, kayaking and climbing and hiking and biking. And um, I went climbing with some really good climbers. And they asked me, like, they're like, you obviously, you don't like climbing. I was like, I don't like climbing. And the reason I don't like climbing is climbing is, is like really technical offense. That's like building a cabinet, right? And they're like, what's the difference between climbing and boating? Why do you like boating? They're equally scary. And I'm like, because I, you know, I'm, a, I'm still a good kayaker and I kayak some class four I was out there. And it's like, well, what I get to do when I kayak is I get to react on the situation. I'm presented with the situation, have a set of skills, and then I'm, I modify those skills to meet the demands of the environment. It feels like defense. I don't know what's happening, but I've got to read and understand and run. And what I've come to realize is that that's what I love about coaching is understanding what I'm seeing in real time in front of me, whether I'm seeing a patient, trying to make sense of the information, and then trying to come up with a plan or, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I used to, when I used to teach these big courses you know, around the planet, um, I would really love to go in and I have things I'm working on, things I'm obsessed with. I mean, I may be very cavalier, but I'm deep, deep obsessed nerd about stuff. And I would walk in and have, you know, three or 300 people and people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. Let's go find out. You know, and people are like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I haven't seen the people yet. I have some ideas, but I want to see what happens. And people are like, well, are you fucking crazy? I haven't seen what I'm going to, what I'm doing there. So instead of inflicting my dogma about this is what we're going to get done, you know, that's what's really going to be missing right now is this, this ability to, to pivot, to modify, to correct, to adjust. And I think I want to try to use that same level of introspection towards our business. Mm. What is the best decision today with the information I have and the people that I'm playing with and their abilities to communicate or, or modify and protect? And I think that's all we can do mm. and, and say we'll do a better job tomorrow. And I don't, I don't know if we'll make it. I don't know if my gym of 15 years is going to come out of this. You know? wow. We had... The model may just not work, especially with the rents that we have. You know, the 90 days before we shut down, we had 700 unique people in our gym. Mm -hmm. So from our own members to people coming in for physio or teams dropping in, 700 unique people signed a waiver or were in our gym in that three months beforehand. And currently, if you have eight people in a class or six people in a class, I just don't know how that works. You yeah. know, so. We're going to have to become better at remote coaching and understand what we're seeing and understand what we're doing on Zoom and be more expressive. I just had a coach who I got a really pissed off email from one of our best physios. It wasn't from the, him. It was from the patient he had seen for the first time. The patient really felt like they were listened to and they weren't communicated with. And it's because our friend was wearing a mask and he's not very emotive. And so, you know, it's really difficult to really understand what you're seeing and like, hey, really good job. You know? <laughs> That's so true. I'm glad I'm not uh, in a PT clinic right now. I'll tell you what, you know. Oh man, it's uh, you know, we were lucky enough to kind of stay open and do the right thing here, but you know, it's tough here too in New York. We're kind of coming out of it now, which is nice, but similar boat, you know. Well, you know, the key I think is really interesting is that if you're waiting for that faucet to get turned back on because you're, you're in a tradition, more traditional model, that's tricky. You know, we have, a, we all try to get, you know, even when I go lecture at my PT school, I try to say, 
you know, you need to have a book of business that people are going to come see you. And they may only see you once every three months for a quick problem and self-tune. They're spun up. You know the context of their lives. You don't have to do these in-depth subjectives because you know them for the mm-hmm. first time. And you've known them for the, you know, for the course of the years and their families. And you know, we, don't re- we really don't see people more than two or three visits for a problem. And then we can follow up remote. And we have a diagnostic tool. You know, and that's what's coming out for the Ready State in uh, hopefully early August. Shove it soon, but we've got a movement assessment in there that's 16 pieces that's pretty good. And we're not going to look at, of course, the same tools we use in the gym. So we're lucky that we've been, we have a model that helps us with musculoskeletal problems. And we've been doing e health visits for over a decade. Mm-hmm. You know? And we don't get reimbursed from the insurance that at a, like a, a telephone visit, $20 rate. If you spend an hour with me on the phone, it's the same rate as if you were seeing me in person, you know? Yeah. So we're a little bit inoculated in that way. And part of that is helping us to, um, to get the idea that, you know, when you book a, a session with one of our physios, you're, it's whatever you need it to be, whether it's squat technique or lifestyle or a hug and an ear, I mean, you're getting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and easy text follow-ups. I mean, we just, we text all our athletes, you know? share videos i mean we just have a way of doing a better job now we're gonna have to reimagine it for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely so what are the, what's the best way for people to really track the ready state and, and you like what's your platform that you're kind of out there the most on well you know um we have another edition of becoming a supple leopard coming out in early winter nice right with assessment we had another 100 100 pages it'll be even right. easier and thicker and you know and there's nothing I'll take it. There's some things that we don't do very much anymore because we are more effective. The way I teach squatting is very different now, right? Um, all about foot pressure, for example. Um, what, uh, you know, one of the things that we've done is we, through the ready state is you have a chance to, to do a 14 day on ramp and you can cancel anytime within 14 days. But in the 14 days, we teach you a basics of body maintenance. So if you don't know anything about taking care of your tissues, that's sort of the way that we've helped people to be able to manage their own musculoskeletal problems. It's a real simple primer crash course in, in desensitization, self-care, super simple. But what I want people to appreciate, I mean, the, the site has access to all the whole thing, all the protocols, all that, da, da, da. But if you want to see what it looks like, go to my Instagram or YouTube, and you can see how I think about the movement and the training and how these things integrate. And I've really come to try to always treat Instagram and YouTube as a companion piece to all the rest of the work that we do because it's quickly, if it's all on the site, it's too overwhelming for people to really, you know, envision the whole thing. But, um, because human movement's complex and we can simplify the principles enough to get, you know, but ultimately, you know, everyone is unique in their needs in so much that, Hey, you're a cyclist. And, you know, I, yes, I have many, many, you know, pre and post kind of cycling issues, but um, on the site, but you can see how I think in sort of long format and little mini doses on the YouTube and stuff. So that's where I would say, you want to see what my brain does, check it out. Awesome. (laughs) All right, man. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Yeah, Kelly, this is awesome. It's definitely an honor to talk to you, man. It's the guy who basically made me want to do 
PT from from the start, man. So it's it's greatly appreciated you taking well, the time. Hopefully, you're not you're not pissed. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're like, dude, you got me into this, and this like stuff. <laughs> what have you, you know, We've we've really tried to be like, you know, be straight up about, um, you know, this is what I think is possible for our field, where you you can have a better life, and you don't feel like you're running from place to place, and you're in control, and you get to have meaningful relationships, and and honestly, I I think that the physio coaches right now are doing the best. Like, they're the most sophisticated, badass physios in the world right now are the people I know who are lifting weights and doing physio. Mm. Awesome. Absolutely. It's so cool. Thank you for joining us today and listening to the iHealth Podcast. Visit us at ironhealth.co for resources and more information about us. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, both at ironhealth.co. Stay healthy and keep moving.